Have you had a dessert that was just heavenly, so heavenly, but it's just too rich for you to have too much, right? And so you just have just a little bit. If you take more than that amount, you, you know, it has a reverse effect. Have you had that dessert? Are you thinking of that dessert right now? <laughs> I think sometimes Christians treat God like a decadent dessert. We want him, but we just want a little bit of him. Because too much of God is way too much, right? And so we just want a little bit of God. Because God is a little bit too complicated sometimes. And sometimes God demands too much. And so what we do is we just want a little bit of God. Not too much, just a little bit of God, right? Um, just a little bit of God. Um, and maybe when things are not going so well, we'd like to, him to hang around. Right? So we want him in a distance because he really doesn't understand 21st century. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's an old man. He's been around for a long, long time. He wouldn't understand TikTok, Facebook. You know, God doesn't understand those things. So I, hang, I want him to hang around. But sometimes God, God is just nice and neat on a Sunday morning and nothing else. You know, and yet, when we need him, when we desperately need him, we want him to hang around. The problem is, when bad things happen to us, people have the audacity to ask, "Where is God? Where is God when bad things happen?" Right? Even though we've asked him to step aside in our daily life, we've asked him to just hang around, but not too closely. Right? And then when bad things happen, we are saying, where is God when bad things happen? It's an age-old problem. It goes right back to our father, Adam. Right? And I'm talking about Genesis chapter 3. As you look at Genesis chapter 3, which is not my text, I'm still on introduction, but look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, you see that after Adam and Eve had done such a huge, I mean, let's not even call it a mistake, right? But tragedy has hit the Garden of Eden, right? Two chapters, we see the beauty of God's intention and plan for mankind. Then comes chapter 3. And chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve make a decision, right? And they eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil. And they eat of that fruit and chaos hits the Garden. Cornelius Plantinga calls it the violation of shalom, right? Instantly, shalom is violated. No more peace. It is just chaos, right? It is the greatest crisis of humanity that happened, and it happened in Genesis chapter 3. And the, and the narrator of Genesis, Moses tells us this. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening were, came, the Lord, let me, let me do that again. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. 
Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. That first crisis ever in the history of mankind. Where was God? He was right in the midst of the crisis. But where was man? In fact, God was asking, where are you? Because he was right in the midst of the crisis. But where was man? Hiding away from God. That's always the situation with mankind, even today. My dear friends, the question is not, where is God when you are having a crisis? If you dig deep enough in your heart, the question is always, where are you in the midst of your crisis? So I want to take you to the text for this morning, and it's in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at another kalmatwa of our faith, all right? Another father of our faith, and this time it's Abraham. And Abraham, this story in Genesis 22, you know so well. Genesis 22, you see this story of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah, all right? So let's pick it up from Genesis 22 and verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things. That means a lot of, a lot of stuff has happened. And if you read Genesis and you read the life of Abraham, you know plenty of stuff has happened before this story. Right? After these things that God tested Abraham. I need to pause because this word tested always creates some problems with us. All right? So I need to talk to you a little bit about biblical testing. All right? When we think of testing, we always think it's an exam, whether you pass or fail. And God is putting out an exam to you, see whether you pass or fail. Right? But you will never find that concept or that idea about testing with God. All right? Let me take you to Exodus chapter 17. Um, this is the first time you see that uh, Hebrew word for testing is in Genesis 22. The second time is in Exodus 17. So go to Exodus 17 verse 7. Now I think you've got the verses printed in your inserts. All right. So Exodus 17 verse 7. Moses, well before I read verse 7, it's a story about Israel. All right. And Israel is walking. They are thirsty. Right? They, they are parched and they need water in the desert. They come to this pool of water, but the water is bitter. And so they turn around and they begin to speak against Moses and grumble against Moses. All right? And, um, and, this, and, and this is where we re read verse 7. All right? Because um, the story goes, they were grumbling. Moses turns to God and says, God, what am I going to do? And God speaks to him and says, strike the rock. All right? Where is God in the crisis? Right there. In the midst of them, the rock was right there in their midst. If they only had turned to God, they would have heard him say, strike the rock. Right? But instead, they turn around and they begin to argue with Moses. Verse 7 says this, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? When they faced the crisis, they said, where is God? Where is God? He's right there in the midst of your crisis, waiting to provide for you in the midst of your crisis. So the question is never, where is God? The question is always, where 
are you? Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. If you read the book of James, his concept of God, he thinks of God, nothing but good. God is good. God is good. He is the perfect father, right? Without any shadow. That is God. And so when you are in the midst of crisis, where are you? What's your concept of God when you are in the midst of your crisis? Are you turning around and saying, where, is, where are you, God? He's right there, my friend. Open your eyes. The question is, where are you? Tests always reveal what's hidden in our hearts. The question is never, where is God? In the midst of your crisis, the question is always, where are you? So I want to continue this story, and you see in this test the hidden heart of Father Abraham. All right? So we continue, Genesis 22, 1 to 3. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That's a tough one. Your only son, you've been waiting and praying for him for 25 years. God promised you a son. You waited, you waited, then you turn 100 years old, and then you get your son. 13 years later, maybe about 13 or 14 years later, God talks to him and says, hey, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him in Mount Moriah. What would you do? Maybe spend a few days waiting and praying on the Lord. Lord, I will go take a retreat, pray for a week, right? See whether it's this Lord, right? Maybe it's not. We'll consult with our friends. We'll talk to the church. The whole church will go into prayer because this is a serious Serious thing, so we need to take some time. Maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe a year. God, I am going to answer, I am going to respond, but give me some time. But what does Abraham do? Look at that. Abraham, the next morning, Abraham got up early. Why would somebody who's faced with such a crisis, right, wake up early in the morning as if you're excited to go to the beach. Wake up early in the morning and start packing up, ready to go and fulfill the instructions of God. I want to say this to you. The response time between God's instruction and your obedience reveals your understanding about who God is. Let me repeat that. The response time between God's instruction and your obedience reveals the God you know. Because the God Abraham knew, when he heard his instruction, he couldn't wait to obey it. I take you to Hebrews 11. And the author of Hebrews gives us a glimpse of what really happened 
reveals the heart of Abraham. Hebrews 11:17 to 19. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had said to him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Think about it. The promise for Isaac was, a promise for Abraham was, I'm going to give you a son, Isaac, and he, through him, you will have nations as your descendants. Now, how many of you know if Isaac's dead, there is no more descendants. But the Hebrews author is trying to show us the thinking of Abraham. Even though it means that the descendants, you know, God's promise, right? So he's thinking God's promises always come to pass. How do I know he's thinking that? Because look at this. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That's the God Abraham worshipped. That's the God Abraham knew. God, when his instructions come, it's always for a good thing. Every time God opens his mouth and talks to me, something good is about to happen. He knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And so when this time God said, go up to Mount Moriah and offer Isaac, he says, I know what you're going to do. You're going to resurrect him, aren't you? So of course... If you want to see resurrection, you'll wake up early in the morning. You'll pack your bags if you want to see a miracle you've never seen before. That's the God Abraham knew. No wonder the Bible calls him the father of faith. No wonder the Bible calls him a friend of God. He knew God intimately and he knew that God is good all the time. I like what Henry Blackaby said. Just throwing that for you, you know, nice Baptist, Baptist minister. Henry Blackaby said this, when God speaks, he always reveals what he's going to do, not what he wants us to do for him. Do you get that? We are always concerned when God speaks, to say, oh no, God's got another task for me. God's not a, got another assignment for me. Actually, when God speaks to you, he's trying to tell you, I'm giving you a little bit of a hint here. I'm going to do something good. Come. Come, and we, come with me. Come and see. See, that's why Abraham woke up early in the morning. He wanted to join God. Come and see. How do you get to that place like Abraham? I want to give you the key in Genesis chapter 22. You will find one Hebrew word that you cannot see in your Bibles because it's in English. But the Bible has translated it as, here I am. It's the Hebrew word, hineni. The Hebrew word, hineni, is translated in English as, here I am. Now, Walden Fels tells us the meaning of the Hebrew word. He calls it a speech act, right? Hineni performs the speech act of presenting myself, the speech act of making myself available to another. And that's what Abraham did. The first time he hears the voice of God in verse 1, he says, Hineni. When he heard the voice, Abraham, 
Abraham. And Abraham said, Hineni, here I am. I make myself available to you, O God. I'm here. I'm listening. I make myself available to you, O God. And he made himself available to God. You'll find this word, Hineni, three times in chapter 22. First, he says Hineni to God in verse 1. Then he says Hineni to his troubled son in verse 7. And then finally, he says Hineni to the supernatural when he's up there in the mountain and he hears the voice of an angel. That's what I want to leave with you this morning. The threefold making self-available. Making yourself available to God, Hineni. Saying Hineni to the other, making yourself available during a crisis, either of yourself or of someone else. Hineni, I make myself available. Oh, and finally, making yourself available to the supernatural. Hineni to God, he said. Hineni. In verse 1, here I am. I've heard you, Lord. I know you. I know your character. And so I'm ready and available to join you in this journey and see what you are about to do. Every time you say Hineni to God, every time you make yourself available to God, you must know you're making yourself available to a good God who has good intentions and journeys with you for your good. Hineni, I'm available. Oh God. The second time he says Hineni, in verse 7, he says it to his troubled son. Look at chapter 22, verse 7 to 8. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Hineni, here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. I love that last phrase. So the two of them went together. I always say this, and I'll repeat it again. You cannot do faith alone. If you're trying to do faith alone, that's not the way God has taught us. Our journey of faith is always with others. And that is why when young Isaac was troubled, because he looked around, he's seen his father do um, sacrifices. If you look at Abraham's life, throughout Abraham's life, it was altars and altars and altars everywhere he went. His life was a life of worship and sacrifice unto God. And so Isaac grew up in that atmosphere. He knew how sacrifices worked. So he looked around. He saw everything that was needed except one item, the lamb. That troubled him. Because if he's going with his father, and the father is going to do a sacrifice, something's missing here. If you had uh, any brains, you'd know who the lamb was. It was going to be this 13-year-old boy. And so the troubled son turns to his father and says, where's the lamb? And Abraham says to him, Hineni, I'm available, son. I make myself available to you. And he says to him, Elohim ra'ah, God 
has already seen to it. Elohim Ra. It's, it's translated God will provide. But the literal meaning is God has seen to it. God has already seen to it. Hinani. You make yourself available to God. You make yourself available to the other. And what a wonderful life it would be if you and I had people to journey with us, especially in the times of crisis. Abraham said he to God. Abraham said he to his son, troubled son. And finally, you see him, he says he to the supernatural. Genesis chapter two, uh, 22 and verse 10 to 13. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Hineni, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. He could have missed that miracle, couldn't he? If he didn't believe that the God he worshipped was a God of the miraculous. That the God he worshipped always performed things supernaturally. My dear friends, I want to say to you, in this Western world we live in, we have come to this place in our lives that we think this is the real world. What we see, touch, feel is the real world. The reality is the Bible tells us that there is another world. There's a hidden world. There is a world of the supernatural. Believe it or do not believe it, that's up to you. But the reality is there's a world more real than this that we live in. And it's the world that God sits enthroned. He is a God of the supernatural. How can we read the Bible and not believe in the supernatural? Everything in the Bible is, sits on the supernatural. If you do not believe in the supernatural, this morning you're wasting your time here. We should be playing golf. What's the point of believing in a God of the supernatural? Believing and walking with somebody in the crisis who needs the supernatural and then turn to yourself and say, I don't believe in supernatural. You're fooling yourself. Is this too hard? We got to say Hinani to the supernatural. For our sake, and for those we are journeying with. Where is God in the crisis? He is right there in the midst of the crisis. Where are you in the crisis? Hineni. You make yourself available to God. You make yourself available to another. And you make yourself available to the supernatural. You say, here I am. I'm available to see, and that's what Abraham said, because he heard the voice. He heard the voice that was invisible, and he knew 
this is supernatural. And he said, Hineni, I'm available. I'm available to the unseen. I'm available to the miraculous. I'm available to see the completion of the supernatural, miraculous, finished work of God. My dear friends, that's what the church needs to believe in. What's the point if somebody comes in here burdened and leaves with the same burden? What's the point if somebody walks in here with addiction and leaves outside with the addiction? What's the point of having a God of the supernatural and not seeing the outworking of the supernatural in your life and my life and the life around? Abraham had threefold presence. He nannied to God. He nannied to the troubled one. And he nanny to the supernatural. When you have that kind of threefold lifestyle going on in your life, available to God, making yourself available to another, and making yourself available to the miraculous. Isaiah 58 is the word for you. I'll close with this scripture. Isaiah 58 verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, and here's that word again, he will say, Hineni, here I am. Can you imagine? You say to God, Hineni. You say to another, Hineni. And you wait in expectation and make yourself available for the miraculous. And God's response to someone like that is, Hineni. He says to you, I make myself available to you. That's the Christian message. That's the message of the cross. Christ died. On the third day he arose. For what? So that when you call out to God, he makes himself available to you at your point of need. I put here, ability is a dime a dozen. Availability, that's precious. Say Hineni to God. Make yourself available to God. Say Hineni to another. Make yourself available to someone God brings to you. Journey with them as you journey with God in the midst of your crisis or in the midst of theirs. Say Hineni to the supernatural. Believe in the midst of your crisis that the God of the supernatural is going to come through for you. There is a miracle waiting to happen. But you must be available for it. The question is not, where is God? The question always is, where are you? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.